Hi everyone, it's your host Liz and welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Elizabeth Sue, wellness writer and founder of Monday Vibes. Elizabeth is sharing her life lessons from her journey from corporate America to wellness advocate. Stay tuned for a powerful conversation around mental health, self-love, and women empowerment. This is Realistically with Liz. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so happy that we were able to schedule in this time. I know that you are doing van life right now, which Mm -hmm. we talked about a little bit, and I'll ask you more questions on that uh, later on in the podcast. But I would love it if you could start by just sharing with the audience where you grew up and what really drove your decision to move to New York. Absolutely. So I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where the University of Michigan is, so Midwest. I went to school outside of Boston at Tufts University and bounced around a lot of different places. And it really wasn't until I had spent a year in corporate that I really decided to shift my entire career and pursue my master's degree at Columbia that I decided to move to New York. So you mentioned you went to Tufts University. What did you study in school? What was, what did you think your ideal career path was going to be, you know, at that age, you know, whether 18, 19, whatever we know at that age. (laughs) Yeah. What can you, what can you tell us about that time? Yeah. So I double majored in quantitative economics and community health. Um, I was always interested in business. Um, I had many entrepreneurial ventures as a kid, lemonade stands, making friendship, selling friendship bracelets for the rainforest, being the top Girl Scout cookie seller, $500, which I was trying to do the math. That's a lot of cookie boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I knew that economics was something that was interesting to me because it was kind of the science of business. Um, but actually at Tufts, I was most drawn to the community health major, which is kind of like public health, but taking public health is a bit of a top-down approach and community health is bottom up, really looking at what about a community um, impacts health outcomes and health inequities. And that was really important to me. And that at Tufts at the time was a mandatory double major. So I paired that with quantitative economics to allow myself to kind of be able to mix healthcare and and science and business. And that led me down this path where I, I ended up at a healthcare consulting firm, but it was actually, I graduated not too long after the 08 recession. And I was very, I was very swayed by the rest of my classmates in the Quantic major who they all were fighting for the, for those finance and consulting jobs. And because um, I know when you, you asked what my dream career was, I didn't really know. I was very impressionable. I really wanted to just succeed in the ways that I thought I should. And so I tried to pursue that path um, very hard. And I had something like 45 interviews. It was grueling. I was also trying to balance that with my at the time, long distance boyfriend, who's now my husband, we're college sweethearts. He was in the military. And so we were trying to figure out where I could find a job um, where he would also be stationed. And so there was a lot of considerations. So anyways, I ended up at a healthcare consulting firm in DC. And at the time it was in sales. And I was like, that's cool. Like I'm able to do business. I'm in healthcare. I'm in a city that's not too far from Andrew, my my husband. Um, Uh, And I drank the Kool-Aid for a while um, and quickly realized that that kind of dream career was a bit of an illusion. Um, And I, when we moved, we moved to the Bay Area in 2013 um, for him to attend business school. And um, I was enamored by Silicon Valley and the tech scene. And so then my dream career changed to being at a, a, um, you know, a hot Silicon Valley startup to be in that, that scene. And 
I did it. I got there and I thought that I was sure that would make me happy. And it's kind of a rude awakening when you get everything that you achieve and or that you wanted and you're still not happy. So that's kind of um, what led me to the other career transitions that um, I'm sure we'll talk about. But I guess in reflecting, it seems like my quote unquote dream career has changed several times throughout my life. Yeah. I mean, definitely. It sounds like it. So, I mean, I, I want to ask you, you mentioned like when you were younger that, you know, you always had the lemonade stand that you were always like very proactive in your community. Uh, what was your family involved in, in similar, um, uh, activities, I guess that it really was just like, the, the energy in the house was very similar um, for you to go into something so heavy like economics. And then, I mean, I studied fashion, so it's very different um, and definitely wasn't a hard uh, major or school. Um, well, at least major, I would say, because first I do know people that were waitlisted at my school. Um, but yeah, I mean, double majoring, that's a very big responsibility for yourself and uh, taking that on and it's, it seemed like you had that, you know, you were in that going in that direction. You had, um, mm. kind of like a clear path set in the mind and then, you know, really life kind of happened and yeah. maybe threw you off course. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the quick answer is no, I'm quite different than the rest <laughs> of my family. I mean, we're all, um, very driven, I would say, very ambitious, very driven. I grew up with a, a feminine, in a line of feminist women. Um, so I feel very lucky for, for that and to kind of have that you can do anything, you put your mind to mentality um, instilled at a very early age. But my mom is a professor um, at the University of Michigan Medical School. She runs her own lab. Um, so she's over there in the hard sciences. My dad, um, was a physician. And so he's over there too. My sister's getting her PhD in biomed engineering at Berkeley right now. And so she's in that camp as well. And then there's me. Um, and I once had a healer kind of laugh when I was telling her my career path. Um, cause I've had quite a few kind of I might say existential crises, uh, in this area because, at the core, I am a creative, and that was that was never really nurtured. But you could see me, you know, in these entrepreneurial, um, you know, activities and like creating clubs and and um, and just always kind of dreaming and thinking of new ways to solve problems. Um, that you could you can see several instances of me trying to express that. I was, um, you know, I was really into theater and um, dancing, and I just I loved um, the arts. And um, over time, that kind of got squashed. Um, not necessarily from my parents. It certainly wasn't nurtured. Um, it wasn't really that celebrated. Um, but just society at large, it kind of, um, I, I, I really, um, it didn't take long to understand what was valued in this society, um, which was academic grades and um, kind of these, this, career path that I, that was laid out in, in front of me. Um, and in my family, academic pursuits and kind of that more linear path made more sense. And that was what was, um, you can just tell that that's what was celebrated and, and acknowledged and recognized. And so you, as a kid, you just, um, you go towards the things that you get, um, rewarded on. And so quantitative economics was funny um, because it was kind of this hybrid. It was very sciencey and mathy, but it wasn't over here doing experiments. It was still um, dealing with social issues. And I, you know, I'd research um, subprime loan mortgages and why the black community was disproportionately targeted. I would look at 
um, child labor in Guatemala. I look at um, breast cancer on military bases. And so you can see I'm trying always to find this, um, this way to kind of carve my own path of, um, of I've, I guess it, I've always been drawn to the way people think and, and why they do what they do, which, you know, has now led me to the field of psychology and personal growth. But my major, I look back and it, it does kind of make me laugh because it is this like kind of safe major for me and my family of what was acceptable, but what um, was drawing upon a little bit more of my interests and strengths. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, just by you mentioning a few topics here and there, I probably wouldn't have guessed that they were related to quantitative economics whatsoever. <laughs> um, but it seems that a lot of things are revolved around community and, and things mm -hmm. that are happening in, in different communities and trying to understand the why. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to, you know, not so much fast forward, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into, uh, you mentioned in 2013, you moved to San Francisco uh, with your husband. It's probably mm -hmm. the first time that you guys are, I'm assuming, together in one mm -hmm. spot. So that was probably really special. That's also when you pivoted your career more into the, mm -hmm. you know, tech e mm -hmm. um, Silicon Valley type of ways. What happened between 2013 and 2018 that really made you move to New York? Like what pushed you <laughs> kind of over the edge? Yeah, I mean, these are the times that make me think that time is just not linear. Like those five years, I'm like, wow, my whole life changed in those five years. Um, a lot of things. I mean, whenever you move to a new city, it's lonely. You're getting your footing again. You're creating a new community. As you mentioned, that was the first time my husband, boyfriend at the time, and I were living together. We were living with a roommate because, you know, we were on grad school budget. And um, yeah, we lived with roommates like well into our marriage. So um, no shame there. We had gone through some some stuff earlier. I had some residual PTSD that I hadn't addressed. My experience in corporate was eating me alive, I guess you could say. I was a consultant. I was traveling all the time, all over the place. I was exhausted. I had really high anxiety. Um, I was still struggling with an eating disorder, not nearly as badly as I was in college, um, but it, I did not have a healthy relationship with my body or with food. Um, and so it really was kind of this like alphabet soup of um, not, good things. And I drank a lot. I definitely, um, you know, use that to numb my, my, uh, you know, what was going on underneath. And the worst part is in, you know, in these consulting, I don't, I only have experience in my own time in corporate, but, you know, I was in sales, I was in consulting, I was in um, account management where you wine and dine clients. I mean, drinking was like a huge part of my job. And, uh, and that just got uh, a little out of control. So it was this perfect storm. And I was just like, unwell, physically unwell, I was sick all the time. Um, I had insomnia, I was just like, kind of a mess. Um, and and extremely lonely and I didn't have a lot of friends in the Bay Area and so I decided to get my yoga teacher training um, and that coinciding with finding a new therapist um, who was amazing specializing in uh, trauma, PTSD, and uh, somatic experiencing. She was kind of the perfect blend of East and West. She studied under a shaman. And um, so she just, the two of them together opened my eyes to a whole new world of spirituality and, um, and personal healing. And, um, and that really shifted things for me. And the more I addressed these surface level 
issues, the more I uncover, you know, wounds from the past and, um, and the more I healed, the more I realized how far it had gotten where I was really living a life that I thought I was supposed to. And I wasn't, I wasn't living the life that I wanted. Got it. I feel like a lot of times we don't really know what's on the surface and what's happening with, with other people, especially people that are very close to us. There's always things that are, I want to say under lock and key. And I'm sure that it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't easy being in a new city. I, I think we, you know, we, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast with other guests that, you know, as being a New York City transplant, it's very hard. I mean, obviously it's not just New York. Moving to any city, as you mentioned, is very difficult. It's a new surrounding. Your routines are changing. You're not, you know, you hope that you can get back to the routine that you were always in with slight adjustments, but, you know, things are always going to, you know, kind of hit that 180. You're not going to, it's not full circle. It's, it's always going to be extremely different. And whether Mm -hmm. you're doing it alone or you're doing it with a partner, then that's Mm -hmm. also, you know, comes with, with some challenges as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So getting, or when you started doing yoga, you got your yoga, Mm -hmm. yoga certification if it's that, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you, you've talked about all this, uh, you know, the trauma and just really, uh, you know, starting therapy. What was so convincing about yoga that you thought it would mm. be like a good healing tool for you? Yeah. You know, yoga is one of those things that to me is such a step stepping stone. I don't mean that in like a condescending way, but just like, it's, it's movement. It's a yoga in and of itself is an act of meditation. And so when you have high anxiety and you are used to doing a thousand things at once and like your mind is just not there as a sitting meditation is not going to feel good. And we're, I can see around us, you know, we're, we're really pushing, seated meditation these days. And, um, I'm a huge fan of meditation, but it's not always what's best for people. It's not always the best, uh, entry point for people into self-discovery, into stilling their thoughts. And cause it can feel very scary. It can, it can actually activate, um, it can activate a traumatic response. And so I think for me, um, just intuitively, I I found myself really enjoying um, this active meditation where it was like my body, my, I was still doing something, which was important for me Mm -hmm. because at the time, like I could not, I was so, you know, type A, which is, which is very rewarded in, uh, in society, in, uh, in academic systems, in in corporate, and so I went for a very long time, um, you know, wearing stress as a badge of honor without realizing how detrimental it was to my health. So yoga allowed me to start to get in touch with my body and to the breath, um, but I was still doing something. My my brain could still be like, okay, like go in this posture. And I kind of look back and I laugh because the style of yoga that I did was a vinyasa um, inspired style, which is very quick, you know, chaturanga, 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 like a lot of sun salutations. And at the time I was like, yes, like getting strong, you know, like very flexible and, um, but nowadays, you know, if I were to go back and do it again, I think I'd do like yin yoga or like restorative, something where it's like, so you, you have your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. I live most of my life in the sympathetic, like, like very charged. And so for me, what's most beneficial is to get back into my parasympathetic, like literally to do nothing. Um, so at the time though, I was still very goal oriented, very competitive, mainly with myself, 
but it still, even then, even when I was treating it as a workout and not a meditation, it still allowed me to be like, okay, like it's an hour that I'm not staring at my phone or my computer. I might be going through my to-do list over and over again, but at least I'm not, I'm like giving myself this space to be. Um, and that, that was really healing for me. And it was also really healing. Um, it, it was the beginning of starting to love my body because I was very, I was very unkind to it for a long time. And so yoga was a way for me to start to appreciate um, just what I'm able, what my body is able to, to do for me outside of, uh, outside of a beauty stamp, meeting a certain beauty standard or meeting a certain weight or anything. You mentioned how, you know, you're now in more of a psychology field. So how did you go about combining, you know, the spirituality that you found within your yoga practice and psychology? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Leave it to me to, you know, like dabble in yoga and then be like my 200 hour yoga teacher training. So I really didn't have, you know, I really went in full force. And as part of that, I started to study kind of the psychology, like kind of the psychology of yoga, I guess. I, I had always been drawn to, you know, Myers-Briggs and like personality tests, like anything that, helped me understand myself better. Um, also starting therapy, I mean, it was a whole new world. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like language to describe these horrible feelings that I feel. Uh, not to mention, you know, starting to like get my power back from, you know, society or specific people just straight up, you know, gaslighting me as I'm having these, these emotional experiences and they're kind of discrediting or invalidating how I'm feeling. And so I started reading a lot, like a lot, a lot that were kind of psychology based books to educate myself and kind of have counterpoints. That's like, Hey, like, actually this is how the brain works or actually my response is very normal or like, I'm not alone in this or here, here are exercises that I can do to make myself feel better because it really was a turning point of like, I, I couldn't rely on my support network as much anymore. I mean, Sure, family and friends were like supportive, but like they're not psychologists. And I really do think we lean way too heavily on parents and partners and friends to be psychologists. They're not, they don't know what to say to make you feel better, truly. So we can coach them and stuff. And, you know, they love us and we know that. But in real times of need, I, I, I personally, um, my healing journey it was very important to me to stop looking outside myself for someone to make me feel better and to take a little bit more ownership over my my own healing journey and what I needed to do to to be well and to feel good with myself and my life. And so the more I read, the more I just got totally engrossed in in the material. You know, one of the, the best things I did was start a business. And so I started a business kind of in this coaching realm that allowed me to share what I was learning and support others on their journey. And so Columbia has a spirituality and mind body Institute. And I was like, what? Like crazy. Like Ivy league school has this very crunchy, like, um, program. That sounds amazing. I would love to learn about the science of spirituality and the, the mix of the two and that, um, knowing that that was available was kind of all I needed to take the leap. Yeah. I mean, just you mentioning it now, I'm very surprised too. It's, it's, that seems like such a niche type of topic, let alone a whole program and school that Columbia would be focused on. What you mentioned earlier about expecting family to kind of be your therapist it, it kind of like really sunk in because I think that's true for so many people. I think that we end up just like sharing, like pouring out all our feelings to them. And it's like, oh, well, they're blood. They have to listen to us. Like they're our family. But I think a lot of times it's 
I think it's needed to to go to therapy. And it's not something that I've tried, but I've, <laughs> I've, 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 which, you know, I'm saying that out loud. Yes. Um, but you know, I know a lot of people that, that have, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's really helped them in, in, you know, whatever area they, they needed in. I feel like anybody that I've heard talk about therapy, it's never a bad thing. One of my podcast guests who worked in the financial sector, she, vouched for for therapy like she was like a huge ad- mm-hmm. or not or she was a huge advocate for it and being a female in the in the financial sector she was like this was something mm-hmm. that no one was talking about you know also you know as a person of color she was like i had to you know get comfortable with being the only person that was going to look like me in the office so yeah. i know there's new ways that we're seeing therapy unfold especially I don't want to say mm-hmm. just now, but within COVID, but I feel like probably in the past, like two to five years, we've definitely seen a, like some different things come up with that, which I know mm-hmm. you have a little experience in. Do you want to mm-hmm. uh, share a little bit more about that? Well, I am biased, but I, I love somatic experiencing therapy. It's a body oriented approach to they call it trauma resolution, but really it's stress management. I mean, the definition of trauma is anything that shakes the foundation of your of the world as you knew it. And so that can come up in lots of different um, instances, whether that's job loss or um, a breakup or moving to a new city or having a kid. It doesn't have to be as intense as I think we see maybe in the movies, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I certainly, there's a ton of stigma when I first started. My family had a lot of stigma around it. They still do. I talk very openly about it more to, um, well, one, you know, I'm on this journey of like unconditional self-acceptance. So I'm not here to censor myself anymore, but also, you know, I do hope that, um, where, whenever I, I just, yeah, I've built an entire career around sharing what's on my heart and hoping that that lands for, for the people who it's meant to, to resonate with and inspires them to do something different in their life or try out something new. But that was really hard for me. I felt a lot of shame. I felt very broken. And, um, there was a lot of kind of feedback, like, why can't you just, solve these problems yourself or like, what's the big deal? And I'm very sensitive. And that's been a big part of my journey. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that some people are more sensitive, like truly more sensitive than others. Like I have very thin skin and I was told my whole life to develop a thicker skin and it just didn't work. It just made me feel very inadequate. And so, I mean, that's been a part of my journey as well as to feel okay having big emotions and big feelings and knowing that that's, that that's just part of who I am. But I, I think a lot of people, and I write a lot about this because I write for Talkspace, which is a mental health startup in New York. I talk a lot about how, you know, people often think of therapy as you, you need to be, it's for solving problems. But I tend to think of it as you know, it really supports me on my empowerment journey to feel like I can stand up for myself and for what I believe in and for the life that I want. And uh, you mentioned your other podcast guest being a person of color and being in the fight and being a woman in the finance industry. I mean, all of that, um, you know, that's not what I originally went to therapy for, but it's been a huge part of what I have uncovered is this internalized oppression that a lot of women face, a lot of women of color face. And I studied in graduate school perfectionism in corporate women because I was personally very curious why I had the experience I did and why my peers and my clients were all so hard on themselves, even though they were incredibly accomplished, brilliant women. Um, And the research shows that we internalize the systemic oppression that exists in society and in, in the workplace. And so it's like, no wonder that 
we have harsh inner critics. I mean, where does an inner critic come from? You don't make it up. Kids don't have inner critics. So it was really important to me to have that be a core part of my research and my message that it's not, it's not you. It's not, it's not that you can't make it in, in this system. It's not that you can't meet your goals. It's not that you can't like fit into a system that was not built to support you. I mean, I experienced a lot of, you know, leadership trainings and development programs and self-help and wellness. Like there's a lot of noise out there about what women need to do to be more confident, to ask for a raise, to have difficult conversations, to set more boundaries, to, you know, have a morning routine. Like there's a, a lot of demands and a lot of pressures put on women to conform to this broken system. And I'm like, no, I really, it really pisses me off because I think it sends the wrong message. It continues to send the message that women are not good enough as they are. That is a script from the patriarchy. And so it is very important to me to, to kind of shift the way that we're thinking about women's empowerment and the, and the healing process as more than just fixing a problem because sometimes that problem isn't even like, it's not your problem. It's that you've been a, a victim of this situation. I mean, thank you for sharing and also explaining just the the topic of perfectionism in, in the corporate world and especially with corporate women. I don't think it's something that probably is talked about enough. I, I definitely see your point in, in that everyone's just trying to like mold us more and there's always like, we need to do this, we need to do that. And I definitely feel like every, you know, the, the health and wellness space is kind of like blown up. What really pushed you to, to kind of open up and really, you know, kind of go beyond the yoga certification and into coaching? Yeah, it, w- it felt like a natural progression to go into coaching. I was coaching my friends anyways. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I should get paid for this. So I, I called myself the Wula, the wedding doula. So it was a, a mindful wedding coaching business. And to me, I was like, oh, I really want, I really want to understand the transformation. I really want to understand not just like how to coach someone through something, but how to help them. Like, what are the underlying things that are contributing to them staying stuck or, you know, continuing to have this inner critic. And there was just a part of me that's like, I, I, need this master's in psychology. I need to study psychology. So during grad school, as I was studying these topics that were very near and dear to my heart and relevant to the women I was coaching, I kind of in parallel started writing a lot, writing a lot about what I was learning, writing a lot, what was on my heart, um, lessons that I learned along the journey. And so I was freelance writing and then kind of writing on my own. And that's what and prompted me to start Monday Vibes, which is my baby. She's the core of my business right now. It's a weekly personal growth newsletter um, centered around women's empowerment to support their mental and emotional well-being. And that's really where I, I put a lot of effort right now. And it's the community that I'm growing and it's a way to continue to share my message and also connect others with people who are also on this journey. And I loved that so much that I wrote a book, which is kind of on the DL and I can't share too many details about it, but it's a research-based memoir about changing the narrative of what women have been told around success and happiness. And it's really a culmination of everything that I've been working towards. It's my research. It's my own personal journey and life lessons. And um, I'm really excited to get it out in the world. So others hopefully can find some, some comfort in it, some inspiration, some solidarity, but that it's, yeah, it's been an interesting journey and I kind of reflect on the writing piece because now I'm, I'm pretty much a full-time writer. I freelance write, I write for Talkspace, I write for my newsletter and then I'm writing, you know, this book and 
And I'm like, wow, turns out I like writing. Who knew? <laughs> um, I've been taking these uh, creative writing classes for over a year and they just light me up. And so it really, I don't know, I think a lot about how we just are always evolving and to always be open to whatever lights you up. And yeah, it, it kind of allows me to unpack what I personally have been learning in a way that will support others. And it, it's almost like coaching to the masses because even though I, I, I still take private clients, only a few at this point because I'm so busy with other projects, but it is a way for me to continue to provide support to, to women all around the world if they're you know, not able to work with me one-on-one. Yeah. I mean, so Monday Vibes is definitely a blend of your business side, psychology, wellness. What are mm-hmm. some of the topics, if you could elaborate more on that, you know, what the audience can expect from, from the newsletter? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Well, every week there's a theme and that was really important to me because we're busy. And as I was saying, you know, there's a lot of, there's, I mean, you could, you could do self-care every minute of every day and still feel like inadequate because you're not able to, you know, do all the recommendations. So it was, it was important to me to kind of provide a very focused newsletter so that people could be like, okay, okay. I don't have to do all the things this week. I'm working on letting go this week. I'm working on setting boundaries this week. I'm working on leaning into joy so there's always a theme and then there's a, there's a life lesson that, that I write of something that's very specific and relevant of what's going on in my life. I'm very real. I'm very honest. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a little love note, like a little you know chapter of my diary that I share with the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> at first it was very scary, uh, but I've gotten kind of used to that, that feeling of like, eek, like, I don't know, you know, as a recovering people pleaser, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, do, I'm about to share like one of my deepest, darkest secrets or one of my like huge insecurities or when I'm like, when I'm a bitch, you know what I mean? Like that is what's so important to me about the newsletter is it's like, it's not this prescription of like things you need to do. It's not this um, love and light and like, just think more positively. It's like, no, like shit gets real. And in the past year, uh, it's been not pretty. And so I, I really go there and then you get a journal prompt and a weekly mantra. And so it's all very uh, specific to that theme to give you just a little, like, like a little love tap that you can um, reflect on your day or your week and, um, and know you did a little something for yourself. And then I like to make it fun because so many newsletters are like either snoozy or, or just like very businessy. So I always have like a little gif and a song to jam out to. We have a community playlist, provide some self-care tips or resources, maybe a little bonus, some research, something I've written. Um, and we started two new kind of special issues that I love. One is called Notes from Camp, which is kind of like Dear Abby or Dear Sugar, Cheryl Stray, I love her. So it's, it's my version, it's our version of that where subscribers will send in their questions of what's tugging on their heart and soul and they'll answer um, just like we were at a slumber party together. And then we have a get to know your community issue that comes out at the end of every month that highlights and features one of the women in the community, which is just such a great way to get to celebrate each other and get to know each other, especially in this, this virtual age. Um, so yeah, that's Monday vibes. And it was, it was important to me. I started it after I'd left corporate, but I still remembered like having the Sunday scaries. And I remembered like needing something Monday morning to, to amp me up and to make me feel excited about the week instead of just like very stressed and very behind. And so that's why I decided it would go out 830 Eastern every Monday. And I wanted to call it Monday vibes because I was like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be like 
happy vibes. Maybe it's like sad vibes. It's just going to be vibes. So, and they're going to be on Monday. So that's, that's the backstory there. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Cause I mean, you mentioned Sunday scaries, which I was like, oh yeah. Like that always seems to be the, a trend that has happened over the years. <laughs> but I, I love that the overarching topic changes. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether uh, your example was letting go, I think that there's going to be something in there for everyone, which Mm -hmm. again, makes it refreshing because I think newsletters can be stale at times or you don't know what exactly the takeaway is for you. You, Are you skimming it? Do you know, do you dive into it? Are you, and I think that that's really what it sounds like that, you know, by you also giving your kind of like little diary entry, it Mm -hmm. really gives the community a chance to be able to like connect with you and really be like, oh, okay. Like Elizabeth's one of my girlfriends. Like Mm -hmm. she's not just this like guru somewhere (laughs) talking about like, you know, feeling better, like promoting like well being. like she's actually someone that, you know, we can relate to. And even that sharing, um, like someone from the community, I think that's a great portion of the newsletter too, giving, you know, someone else a voice sharing Mm. their story and, and kind of seeing the connection there because a lot of times you end up noticing that you're not the only one, you know, feeling these things, whether again, happy or sad. And I think that a lot of times we, we keep things bottled up Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, when is the right time to to talk mm-hmm. about this or to share this? Mm-hmm. So it seems like that newsletter is definitely provo- promoting people to to really, you know, kind of dig a little deeper. Well, I think it's you. doing that. It Me sounds too. like it's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. That's that's what the that's what the the Monday vibers tell me you know, talking about Monday vibes and creating that after, you know, your time in corporate your time that was so heavily focused on, on the business side of things mm-hmm. and, and maybe not having enough time for yourself. I want to go mm-hmm. into this segment that I call my all about New York segment. So mm-hmm. obviously New York is, you know, near and dear to you because it's really where, mm-hmm. you know, it's where you went to grad school, but it's really mm-hmm. when you had that one-on-one interaction with, with your clients and was, mm-hmm. were able to really, you know, see how you could help others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just want to like, like, let's reflect a little bit more on, you know, the time you're obviously not living in New York now, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> we'll let it pass. But I think it's worth again, mentioning just how, you know, New York really was, was there for you when you needed it. And even though it was tough the first year you were focused on school, there's yeah. still little voids here and there. Yeah, Absolutely. New York will always, as you said, hold a special place in my heart. It absolutely was the, I mean, it was intense. It was intense. Um, and I always tell people it's intense in the, in the best and worst ways. And that's kind of New York. Um, it really pushed me, it pushed me in ways that I was, I don't know, unexpected or, uh, uncomfortable with maybe. Um, but I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful. It was the first place that I actually lived by myself. I lived in a 200 square foot, like tiny studio in, in grad school housing, but you know, it was my little, it was like my little shoebox. I called it. Uh, and there was some magic to that. There was some magic to, to charting this new path for myself by myself. And I knew, I told my husband, even though I was so sad that we weren't able to be together for that time, he had just taken a new job and, you know, life is what it is. And at the same time, I was like, I, I need to go, like, I need to do this. I need to do this for myself. I need to do this in order to become the person that I um, am meant to become next. It's very hard to do that when you're in, cause I, you know, I quit corporate and I was in this, you know, Silicon Valley circle and it was very difficult for me to change my identity in that um, circumstance and not feel either not second guess myself or not feel insecure or less than, cause I wasn't making as much money like at all that I was. And having to change my lifestyle and all of that. So when I got to New York, um, you know, it really 
was this fresh start for me and I could be whoever I wanted. And that was very refreshing. And I love that about New York. I love the creative energy. I love the diversity. I love the, um, all the endless professions you could have in that city, in the Bay area. It's, I mean, it's really tech and, um, and that kind of narrows your perspective on what's possible. And when I got to New York, I was like, wow, this is really, this truly is the land of the land of dreams and people, the people really, um, I was really moved and inspired by the people I met, like New Yorkers, I was told were always so rude and harsh, but I found them to be the most kind, like rooted people I have ever met. Like they would, um, you know, that maybe not as friendly, but like they have your back. Like if you needed, if you needed help, like I had so many pe- random people, um, you know, swipe me into the, the Metro or the, the subway. And, um, I just always remember, you know, these little random acts of kindness, but as I was telling people, you know, I'm building a media company or I want to write a book. They like no one bad an eyelash. And that was new for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe I can do it. And so that, that creativity and that like just endless pursuit of dreams was so infectious. And so it really fueled my, my soul because, you know, as I said, I am a little bit of a black sheep in my family and I had just left behind this very linear life, this very cookie cutter life, it was very scary for me to go out on my own. And I did not have a lot of support, you know, people that like really saw, like really believed, you know, people will kind of bullshit you all day, but, um, (laughs) but you can tell. And then when I got to New York, I was like, wow, they really, they really think I can do it. Okay. Maybe I can. I think that to your point, there's something about New York that there's like so many possibilities here. If it was living in the shoebox, writing on the side, like everyone's doing it. Everyone mm-hmm. is, is in the hustle. Everyone's in the mix. So that's really why, you know, you meet so many different type of people here. Your dream wasn't a laughable moment. It, right. it, it was something, yes. it could be concrete. They were like, yes. oh, your idea is, is valid here. You're valid yes. here. So I think that that means that definitely was something that you didn't expect to get and you were you know, welcomed with open arms with that, you know, yes, reaction. Exactly. Exactly. That, that meant the world to me. I mean, I was so used to defending myself. So used to people kind of rolling their eyes or poking fun. And it's like, when you have ideas that uh, like ways that you want to change the world or ways that you want to, you know, things you want to bring to life, having someone do that is, I mean, it's just crushing. It's very difficult to believe in yourself when you're not surrounded by other people who A, believe in themselves and B, believe in what you're able to do as well. I mean, I I couldn't agree more because, you know, when I look back at when I moved to New York and I came here to study fashion, you know, coming from Puerto Rico, having grown up there with, you know, the same group of kids like you know for all the years and you know coming from a small town that what didn't seem like a possibility I you know moved to New York and it was like okay fine she's moving it's whatever people go to New York people come back but the actual fact that you know I went into study fashion I ended up working in the fashion industry you know getting a job in that um you know very cutthroat industry was, was surprising to me, but again, it was like meeting other people that also had that same dream, like Mm -hmm. that they wanted to work in fashion, that they knew that the opportunities were there, Mm -hmm. that you could just, um, go beyond just, you know, working in a mall or, Mm -hmm. you know, those were really big ideas. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something that, you know, sometimes you kind of need to step back and be like, wow, I actually accomplished that. I was able to do Mm -hmm. that because, Yeah. I mean, I think about it and I remember just like never kind of fitting in with like my group of friends back home after Mm -hmm. I moved here because 
it's not just, you know, college and school. It was like, you had to like, you know, really Mm -hmm. be on that kind of like go, go mindset. And, you know, kind of when I would come back to, to Puerto Rico, I'd always be like, so what is everybody doing? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're taking some classes. We're going to the beach on the weekends. <laughs> and, you know, who's to say I could have had, I, you know, I could have lived that lifestyle longer than I, you know, had. But mm-hmm. I feel like even that, like, it drove me crazy. Like being, ho- like, I literally from the first year I was a freshman, that was only that time between um, my first freshman holiday. That was the only time I took my full holiday break back home. After mm-hmm. that, I was like, great mom and coming home for the holiday. And then I will be leaving. <laughs> I, I never stayed like the month of January. Cause ob- I never understood to the, the breaks were so long. Um, <laughs> which I mean, it's great. I mean, obviously everybody wants a break, but it just like, it didn't fit with, with the lifestyle that I had, you know, kind of just started and was growing into. So knowing that I was like, you know, and I was able to have some support from my family saying, okay, great. You don't want to, you know, you come home for the holidays, see the family, but you want to go back to working. Okay. Like I'm not going to stop you there. And I think it was that mentality. Um, But yeah, it's not always, you know, as you mentioned, it's not always like that, you know, being the black sheep in the family or yeah, just not having that full support. It's, it's hard on, on Mm -hmm. anybody. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's just, yeah, it just comes to, it comes like full circle, like reflecting back on just having, you know, New York be this place that's kind of just opened the door to, to everything. Yes, totally. So I'm going to kind of skip over um, a few things, but I really would love to get your take on one of my kind of ongoing questions of the podcast, which is what you love and what you hate about New York. Oh, um, okay. I talked a little bit about it, but what I love Mm -hmm. is it's the creative energy and the diversity of people. I mean, it really, to me, I just, I, and I do not like riding the subway because I'm very sensitive as I shared. And so I have to, I have to take a shower. I have, I have a whole routine. I have to like spray lavender hand sanitizer, like a whole, like the whole thing. Um, but I really loved it because I would just sit there and I would just be just mesmerized by all the languages I heard, like all the artists, like, you know, the, the, actors practicing their lines or the writers writing in their journals or the singers singing for an audition. I, you know, even the tourists who are like so excited to be there and it just, it brought me so much joy and, um, you know, everyone had like purple hair or, you know, it's like, whatever, whatever go, you know, no questions asked. And I, I love that. It really was like, yes, you know, do you do you to me, that is what New York is. It's like the celebration of self-expression in whatever um, form that comes in. And I think when you see other people loving themselves and being themselves, you, that gives you permission to love yourself and be yourself. And it's like, there's room for all of us. We don't have, like, we don't have to be all the same. In fact, difference is, makes it even better and more magical. And to me that that's what New York is. It's like that, that beautiful reflection of a celebration of difference. And I feel like our country desperately needs that right now. And so I really was grateful to have that reminder constantly living in New York. What I hate, I mean, (laughs) I feel like I'm like a broken record, but as, as someone who's really sensitive that like the noise and the smells were just like killer for me. I mean, that is what kind of drove us to leave New York um, was I, you know, the lack of access to nature in the outdoors. I, you know, I was in Riverside Park all the time, Central Park, um, running and walking and, you know, trying, lying on the grass, trying to soak in what nature I could, but um, that 
that is something I really missed from the Bay Area. And I, I know like I'm, my heart is just happier when I'm able to be in the outdoors and when I'm able to have a little bit more space, which is crazy. Cause I always thought like space, space, like doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, but I think for me, space doesn't necessarily mean physical space. It just means like, you know, the ability to, to have less stimuli. I think that's it. I think I got a little too overstimulated in New York, just the lights and the sounds and the, um, the smells. And it was hard for me to relax and hard for me to, to have any respite. And in some ways that kind of flips to what I, what I loved is that is like, the creative energy that I picked up on was something that really fueled my work and my business in a good way, but I had a lot of insomnia. It was almost like I couldn't turn that energy off. It was like I was working and working and working. And it was very easy for me to do it because I love what I do, but it's like, it's time, you know, it's time to go to bed. Like it's time to stop working, but it was, I, I really had a hard time turning off um, and I know that about myself. I, I do struggle with workaholism, which I think, you know, is like, I don't know, can kind of roll your eyes at that. You're like, oh, like you work too hard, but it's like legit a thing when you have been brought up to associate your worth with your output. And I think in New York, that was a little too indexed, kind of over-indexed for me. And so now... <laughs> We're in the middle of nowhere, Montana, and I would never have guessed it at the time, but it's, it's giving me that, that recharge that I think I needed. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, being a workaholic and it's really just like a mentality that you have from such a young age, Mm. you know, my parents were both entrepreneurs. They both, you know, they ran their businesses. They didn't have a lot of employees. So they were kind of always on call. So I grew up Mm -hmm. with that around me now thinking of, you know, this time during, since COVID started, Mm -hmm. it's been probably the longest time. It's been six months since I've kind of hit the pause button almost. And you, you are just experiencing New York in a different way, but also just like your life in a different way. And Mm -hmm you know, your spaces around you are definitely really important now. You know, going back to you mentioning that you lived in a shoebox and you called mm-hmm. it your, your shoebox. <laughs> I feel like a lot of times it's something that we are comfortable with in New York and we put ourselves in those positions because we love being out and about. We love yeah, exploring right. like New York. That's something that is, is beautiful about New York. And that's mm-hmm. why a lot of people live here and, you know, continue to raise their families here. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really, it's, it's interesting that you were able to come to, you know, that moment in your life being like, okay, Elizabeth, I need a recharge, you know, let's, let's do this. New York will still be there. We can still visit, (laughs) but I definitely, I mean, I, I believe and also, you know, having to, to say like, okay, long, let's cut the long distance. We really need a, a time for ourselves. So yeah. Yeah, it was a hard, it was a really hard choice. Um, I make it seem like it was like, you know, <laughs> easy, but it wasn't. I cried a lot. It's very sad when you, you know, you love a place or you have an expectation of something and it turns out different or you your needs change in a way that you hadn't expected and you need to honor that and your body will scream at you. I mean, my body was like very ready to go before my mind was. Um, but I was like, no, like, let's keep trying. Um, but I think that that's important with whatever, whatever life throws at you to be able to, to be honest with yourself. And I would say, Cheryl Strait has this great quote about being brave enough to break your own heart. And I think about that a lot, certainly with this transition, because it was, I grieved a lot. It was a tough choice and it was sad in in many ways, but it's, I try to just, 
I mean, when I, whenever you're leaping into the unknown, it's very scary. You're like, oh, well, this, is this the right decision? But I love how you put it. Like New York will always be there. And that's so true. It's, um, and it, it will bounce back and it will be as vibrant as ever. Absolutely. And I think that's important when you're making choices is to remember, like, it's not black and white and it's not forever. Like nothing is a forever thing. Like you can always change your mind. Cause I was even thinking about that in New York. It felt like we had committed to being there for, um, for longer. And sometimes it's like, when do you have to let go of your plan? You know? Yeah. I feel like you kind of started answering the question that I was going to ask next, but you know, any, Mm -hmm. do you have any advice that you would share for anyone thinking of, of moving here or thinking of moving to a big city or even leaving kind of those shoes that you were in and when your mind finally met up with your body and said, (laughs) it's time to go. (laughs) I mean, what's interesting about, about COVID in this time is it is giving people more space to self-reflect. I mean, we just don't, we're not as busy. And I think that's what's so uncomfortable about, about this as well is it's kind of like a really intense period of meditation almost because it, when you are less busy and you have more time, um, to think about your life and what you want, what bubbles up to the surface is sometimes not what you expect or not what you want. And I have, I've had to really practice accepting reality for what it is instead of for what I want it to be. And that's really hard. And I think that that comes up with any move or transition is that, that reckoning of like, you know, the right answer for you. It's just, you know, the noise around you or the expectations that you had or expectations that other people have of you that get in the way. And so I guess I would say if you're at this juncture and you're, you're needing to make a decision, I mean, I used to be really like, I would, I would, I would be the person that would like survey all their friends and family and make the pro con list and do all the research. And it was exhausting. And it was kind of silly because really like intuitively, you know, and it, we just sort of teach this very logical process that um, distracts us from our inner knowing. And so my advice would, would be to, um, to, to carve out time and space for yourself, um, to not jump to asking for second opinions or to, you know, scroll on Instagram and see what everyone else is doing to really tap into what, like what you're sensing inside of your own body. Um, when it, when, you know, and I, a simple exercise can just be like closing your eyes and checking in with yourself when you're like, okay, this is me in say I'm living in New York. This is me in New York right now. How does it feel? How does it feel in this moment to imagine that? Okay. This is me in like nowhere, Montana. How does that feel? Like, um, and I think that's a really important process that, um, kind of that self check-in, um, before making a decision because, it's very easy to get swayed by what other people say or think, but if you can check in, if you can quiet the noise enough and check in with yourself first, then it won't be so, it won't be so emotionally taxing. Yeah. I think that, you know, as you mentioned, just with COVID kind of happening and really, I think it was something that obviously was unexpected just because we weren't being told about it. And, you know, just really when it hit everyone, it's, everyone's really in a different place. You can't say you were in the same place six months ago or at the beginning of this year, you know, we had so many, I I think aspirations for 2020 being a new (laughs) decade and everybody was so excited that it kind of just took us by storm. Yeah. You know, I am so thankful for you taking the time out of your day, out of your, you know, trip to Montana (laughs) and your van life, as we put it, um, (laughs) to, you know, talk to me on the podcast and to share your story. 
I, you know, I, I love that you were very honest, very, very vulnerable with us, which is exactly what you can find on Monday Vibes, as you said. So um, is there anywhere that the audience can find you and just learn more about your journey? Yeah. My website is elizabethsue.com. And if you want to go straight to Monday Vibes, it's elizabethsue.com slash Monday Vibes. And then on Instagram, it's Hey Elizabeth Sue. I hope you'll join the party. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that best friend or that girlfriend that you just didn't have or you didn't know that was there. Like you don't want to burden her and you just want to kind of (laughs) open up and talk about. Oh, I love her. (laughs) But yes, thank you so much. I will make sure to put your website in the episode notes for everyone to find it. And then you could also head over to the Realistically with Liz website and we will put your um, link up there as well with the episode. As always, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Realistically with Liz. For more on our guests, visit our website linked in the show notes and check out our Instagram page at Realistically with Liz. Don't forget to rate and review on your preferred podcast platforms and we'll see you here next Saturday with a new episode.